Ronnie and I kind of crossed paths about six, seven years ago. Ronnie was an intern at New City Fellowship Chattanooga, which was this church's great-grandmother church. And I was at New City Fellowship St. Louis. We're part of a network of churches that believe uh, that God can, through people, change a city and bring about racial reconciliation and care for the poor through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus. And so Ronnie was interning in Chattanooga. I was a pastor up in St. Louis. We got to know each other there. Then we both came down here, reconnected. Ronnie had been part of a church plant in Raleigh-Durham area. And, um, and he's now moving towards planting a church called New Song Church in West Palm Beach. And that's going to get going here in the next year. Still trying to figure that out. But Ronnie's been a good friend. We've uh, been part of a group of pastors together uh, that has met and shared our lives. So he's one of my... He's one of my brothers, um, and he pastors me at times, and that's been good, but I'm glad he's here this morning. It's called New Song Church in West Palm. We hope to launch uh, Easter next year. Um, but uh, as we come to this time, we talk about the test of finding God in deep brokenness. You know, it's a fascinating story, a quick review of the, the family God would use to create the great nation of Israel, to create the people of God. The, the church, if you will, is a broken family, isn't it? He comes to this man called Abraham, right? Abraham lives in this place. I love it. It's, it's a fairy tale named Ur of the Chaldees, right? And he goes from the land of Ur to this unnamed land, um, and he begins his journey. His father, Terah, dies along the way. But Abraham, uh, has, has, at age of 100, he conceives Isaac, right? But before Isaac is born, him and his wife get a little impatient because God promised him a son, and they decide to help God out, right? So, 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 so uh, Sarah gives Abraham her, her servant Hagar, an Egyptian woman, to, to conceive a son that's called Ishmael. And, and, you know, I'm sure Abraham was like, honey, you sure you want me to lay with your servant? Oh, for the sake of you, honey, only for you, I'll do it, right? Right? And, and, and it creates this drama. Isaac and, 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 and Ishmael have tension, and Ishmael's of, and Hagar is eventually sent away, and, and, and Isaac becomes the heir, right? And, and then Isaac uh, marries, uh, uh, he marries Rebecca, right? Y'all follow me? And Isaac and Rebecca have two sons in particular we're going to highlight, Jacob and Esau, twin brothers, right? Y'all following me? And, and these twin brothers, even in the womb, they're wrestling. They're fighting with each other, right? And, and Esau's the oldest. Jacob's the youngest. And as the oldest, Esau's entitled to the birthright and the blessing, right? And Esau is the dad's favorite, right? Esau's a wild man. He's a hunter. He's a hairy man. So if you're a hairy man, no God loves you, right? You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm barely got any up here, so... So anyway, but, 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 but Jacob is the mother's favorite, right? He's a shepherd. He's not as rough of a man. And, and, and Jacob deceives his brother first in the stealing his birthright, but then in the stealing his blessing, right? While Esau goes to hunt to bring his father some food, uh, uh, his wife, Rachel, uh, uh, makes, I mean, Rebecca makes that favorite stew that Esau likes, and he has Jacob pretend to be Esau, and Isaac, who's now blind, blesses Jacob instead of Esau, right? Remember? See all the scandal in this family? Favoritism, uh, competition, 
and, and then this family, uh, and then uh, Esau finds out and is upset, and, and they send Jacob away because they think Esau killed him. And, and when Jacob is sent away, he goes to his mother's brother's house, Laban, right? And, 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 the, and the deception doesn't end there. He, he, Laban realizes God's blessing is upon Jacob. Jacob is making Laban rich, right? It's always good to have a son-in-law to make you rich, right? Oh, y'all are a quiet bunch, but it's okay. <laughs> nah, I'm messing. And then I'm, I'm going to try to be short, but just setting it up. And there's deception. Laban, uh, Jacob falls in love with the younger daughter, Rachel. And in that day, they did a feast for a wedding that lasts more than one day. And uh, Jacob was good and drunk, but it was time to consummate the marriage. And so he consummated the marriage as drunk men do. And he wakes up in the morning and laying next to him is not Rachel, it's Leah, who's not as attractive. This is the chosen family of God. This is our spiritual great-great-great-grandfather. And, and, and Jacob says, you, you deceived me. And Laban says, well, and our, it's our tradition to marry the older first. And he agrees to work an additional seven, seven years, which will make a total of 14 years as an indentured servant of his uncle Laban in exchange for Rachel. So Jacob now with two wives. Can you imagine trying to keep two happy? One clearly favored of the other begins his family. Him and Laban continue to deceive and manipulate one another. And finally, Jacob leaves, clearly favoring Rachel. I'm fast forwarding. I know I'm skipping details. And her children, Joseph and Benjamin, she had the last two. She was barren over Leah and her children. They also, their servants, bore children to them. But that's not needed for the details. Jacob has to go back into the land of his father Isaac, and he's afraid of his brother Esau. Remember that? Mm -hmm. So deep is this uh, love of one wife over the other, one set of children over the other, that Jacob is scared Esau is going to kill him. And he sends them, he divides in the companies, he sends a company of servants first. Then he sends Leah and her children first. You know, if, 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 there, if I got to lose a wife, let it be Leah and her children, not not Rachel and, and her children, right? And, and then secondly, and then eventually Jacob comes uh, with Rachel and, and her child, not children yet. And instead of uh, being killed, he's forgiven and embraced by Esau, right? And, and to make a loyal story short, Jacob becomes now the carrier of the covenant, the, the leader of the family of God uh, with 12 sons who would eventually make the 12 tribes of Israel. Little family drama, right? Right? Just a little bit. You know, almost as crazy as this election, right? So we know God can bring redemption out of messes, right? And so we come to the text today in the midst of all this, and we know that these boys all their life clearly seen that one brother, Joseph, was favored over the other, one wife, all this brokenness, the hurt that Jacob realized with. And then if it, if it wasn't enough that Joseph was the favorite, Joseph had a dream. And it wasn't a good dream like Dr. King. It would eventually be good. But he had all his brothers and even his mother and father bowing down to him. And the brother said, we about had it. When Jacob sends him to, to give supplies to his brother as they're shepherding the, the animals, they decide to kill him. They throw him into a cave. They're going to kill him. And then Judah says, you know what? Let's not kill him. 
we won't make any money. Let's sell them into slavery. And they sell their brother into slavery. Right? Jacob is horrified. They tell Jacob he was eaten by a wild beast. His favorite son is gone. The tension between brothers, the tension between father and sons, the tension between the brothers who even plotted together remains. We know the story. Joseph uh, rises uh, to Potiphar's house, then ends up in jail, then rises to the house of Pharaoh. He comes today, having had a dream that was rightly predicted that there would be a seven years of abundance and seven years of famine. He's the second in command only to Pharaoh in Egypt. And in the midst of the family, the family of God, Jacob and his sons, Israel and his sons, are hungry. And Jacob yells at his sons, saying, why y'all standing here? They got food in Egypt. Go buy some food. Isn't it? Funny how God orchestrates situations filled with brokenness and sin to fulfill his purposes. If we're going to follow God, if you as a church, as New City, Hollandale, Hollywood are going to follow God, we have to know to believe in God that even in our personal brokenness, even in the brokenness of this community, the brokenness of the families, you will engage. This type of ministry is messy. Isn't it? You have to be able to see God's redemptive plan in it. And you have to interpret in your life that when God brings difficulty into your life, when the consequences of sin, both just the fact that this world is falling and, and also your individual sin, even your corporate sin, when they arise, we have to know as the people of God that if God allows them to arise, it's not because he's angry with us, but he's angry with sin. And God will deal with sin and the pain of sin in order to help us fulfill our purpose as his chosen people. You following me? That was a long setup. I'm sorry. And so as we begin, have you all ever heard of a guy named Richard Allen? No, Richard Allen uh, is the, 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 the planter, if you will, of the first black church. Um, and he founded the first black denomination. You ever heard of it? AME Church, the African Methodist Episcopal Church. So, so this late 1700s, Richard Allen and Absalom Jones, two friends and, and preachers, two guys born into slavery who bought their freedom. Late 1700s in Philadelphia, where Pastor John was, the, the city of brotherly love. Right. Um, that they, they go into the white Methodist church um, and to pray and they, they go on the front to pray. They're told to leave the main floor and go in the balcony as is custom. And this day they're tired. Instead of going up into the balcony where the blacks were supposed to go to pray, they walk out and, and they hatch this plan to begin this church called Bethel Church. Remember the shooting in, in, in Charleston a few years ago at the church? That's an AME church. They called it Mother Bethel because it was one of the first AME churches in the Deep South. My mom's a South Carolinian. And, 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 and in this, they, they, they begin to make sense. And before they plant the church, they start this thing called the Free African Society. It was a community development, community service organization. They would help blacks get loans. And when, uh, if a widow died, they would, they would take care of that widow's need if her husband died. Sorry. We, didn't, we don't kill and resurrect widows. But anyway, 
But, but, but here's my point. As they wrestled with the black experience in, in America up in that point, from being taken as slaves in West Africa, across the transatlantic passage, into America where they first were slaves and then became free, this is how they interpret it. Maybe God allowed this tragedy, this horror of American slavery to go to happen to us in the free African society so that now that we're Christians and we come to know the God of our slave masters who is good and who opposes slavery but allowed it to happen, maybe he allowed this to happen so that we can go back to the Caribbean and to Africa and carry the gospel. And so they made it their mission as the free African society to promulgate the gospel to the Caribbean and to Africa and to help blacks both, local, both locally and internationally, spiritually, socioeconomically, physically. That's how they interpret slavery. Here's the point. As we come to this text, we have to see God work in his plan of redemption and healing in the midst of suffering. And it transcends our individual lives. It goes to our corporate identity, first as the church, secondly as Americans. All right? And so we come to this scene. God allows the famine to come. Let me hurry up. And I have two points today, by the way. Um, it's, it's hard to do uh, with this story, but here's our two points. As we see this, we, we got to realize two things if we're going to correctly handle suffering and difficulty as the people of God. One, that God will not let our sin get away from us. And two, that God will not let you get away from him. One, God will not let our sin get away from us. And two, God will not let you. And it's plural, so in Southern English you'll say, God will not let y'all get away from him. Right, y'all? <laughs> but anyway, God will not let your sin get away from you. So here it is, the people of God. They, they, you know, this scene is about 22 years after the brothers betrayed Joseph. 22 years later, Joseph's life has went through the up and downs. The brothers have wrestled with this guilt for a long time. Imagine, they think that their brother's dead. They're wrestling with this guilt Jacob is, is, is wrestling, still mourning the loss of his sons. And you could tell because he's kind of yelling at his sons, get off your sorry behinds and go buy some grain. They're still dependent on him, an old man. And so they go to, 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 to Egypt uh, to buy grain. And, and what's funny is Joseph, the man of dreams and visions, he has no warning from God that we hear in the text that, that his brothers are coming. Right? These brothers, and I don't know about you, but I have hurtful things that have happened to me that I've, I've done that I'd rather forget. Any, any of you ever did that? In our family, we have some deep brokenness, divorce, adultery, abuse, and our way of dealing with it is not to talk about it. Everyone knows you can feel it when we come together, but you don't talk about it. If you talk about it, you will get cut. And I'm not talking about literally cut, but verbally cut. Right? Any of y'all have that? And so... Look, Joseph is saving the world. You know, he's a pretty big deal. And it's 22 years ago, but as soon as he sees his brother come to his brothers come to buy grain, he recognizes them. Isn't that crazy? 22 years, all the events of his life was not enough 
to take away from his memory the look of the brothers who betrayed him. He sees them and he recognizes them. And the brother who, brothers who committed these great sins, they didn't recognize their brother sitting as essentially the governor of Egypt. He recognizes them and he's moved to tears. God gave Joseph the grace to now become a success. God gave him the grace to not remember, to not even continue to hold the reality of what had happened to him in his life. In fact, we know that because Joseph's first son is named Manasseh. Manasseh is God made me forget my land. He's saying God made me forget all the bad that happened to me. But, and so when he sees his brothers, he's not happy, but he's sad. 22-year-old wounds rise to the surface. And you ever had a moment where old wounds rise to the surface because of circumstances? It doesn't feel good. It hurts. 22 years and he still hurt. He forgot he was hurt. See, I'm a lot like Joseph. Like, I don't like to think about my hopes. I like to shut them down and, and forget they happen. And I forget that I've been affected by deep suffering and pain. And then God will bring something up that will trigger it. And rather than wanting to deal with it, I want to suppress it. Any of you like that? But Joseph remembered. The brothers forgot what their brother looked like. Jacob is still hurt. You know how we know? How many brothers went to Egypt? Ten. What brother didn't go? Benjamin, the baby boy, the only other son he had from his beloved Rachel. He still holds it against his sons. He's still hurt. And, and he's so hurt, his fear is driving his life so much that he holds him back. Now, that's an economically bad decision. Now, Benjamin's not a little boy now. Benjamin's a grown man. Right? Y'all follow me? Probably a father. We're not sure. And as a grown man, that's another donkey and another human being to carry more grain from Egypt in a severe famine. But Joseph, Jacob chooses his hurt even over his hunger because he says, I don't care if Benjamin could bring even more supplies. I'm going to hold on to my one son I have left. And how he says it to his sons, they're like, there's 11 of us, Dad, and you're saying you don't want to lose your son. What about us? Imagine what this is communicating to the brothers, the same hurt that caused them to, they think, kill their brother in the first place. And so he come and Jacob's pain is, 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 is awakened and, and, and he speaks harshly. He tests them. He doesn't tell them who he is, right? Any of you, sometimes I feel bad. I'm not a parent yet, but I'm an uncle. And, you know, you know your kids did something wrong, but you, like, playing along and asking them to quit. We're tormenting them like, we're going to make you admit it. I'm not just going to come out. And, you're, and I was the kid that I would try to lie to the very end. You know, any of you ever been there? Well, I don't remember. You know, but anyway, <laughs> like to the very end, I'm going to hold on to it. But, but, but they come to him and he questions them. He calls them spies. What's ironic is he's testing them. Now, what is Joseph saying? One, am I going to manifest myself as their judge? Have they changed? Have they hurt my brother Benjamin too? Or am I going to manifest myself lovingly? So he tests them. He accused them of being spies, and they say, no, we are honest men. Imagine the irony joke is saying, we're honest men. What? <laughs> but look what they do say. 
He said, we are 12 brothers, right? They say what? Uh, one is with our father and one is no more. One is, has, doesn't exist anymore, they think. And Joseph picks up and he asks. He's trying to find out if Benjamin's still alive. But then he's trying to test him. He said, I don't believe you. You're spies. This is what I'll do. One of you go back and get your brother, right, and bring him to me, and then I know you're not spies. He's checking for the welfare of his little brother, right? Um, and, and, and what the test is how they fail. Look at this. Not one of them volunteers to go. Isn't that funny? The hurt is still there. They still don't trust one another. Look, how do I know my brothers won't leave me hanging like I did the rest? Right? And they still don't want to face Jacob. They say, please, like, and Jacob told them, and they say, like, if this younger brother, something happened to him, our father will die. Right? No one volunteers to go. So then this is what Joseph finally does. He keeps them three days in prison, so they think. And then he says, okay, y'all can go back. I'm going to keep Simeon, right? And Simeon is, uh, what's funny is he chooses Simeon, not Reuben, the oldest. Because as they're arguing among themselves, them thinking they don't understand him, he understanding them. He learns that Reuben actually was the one who tried to stop it. And Simeon was the second oldest and the ringleader, right? And then... Judah's the one who gave the suggestion that instead of killing them, let's make some money off it, right? Pay attention to Judah because uh, one of my professors from Knox, Dr. Gage, helps me see his importance in the story. We'll get to that later. But, um, but anyway, and so this brother, so, so, so he keeps Simeon and the other brothers go, right? You think, okay, good trip. Only one, only one brother stayed, but we got the grain. You know, we're, we're, we're going and so now they're, they're going back, and then they notice, what, the money they, they gave Joseph to, to buy the grain is returned in their bags, right? Y'all finding me? Yeah. And then when they see that, they say, what is this that God has done to us? What is this that God has done to us? Isn't that a question of all our lives? 22 years later, and God is going back to the sin. They're reminded of what they did to their brother at that moment. They're accused of spies. They left a brother in Egypt, and they have to go and have this hard conversation with their father about his only other favorite son that's left, knowing Jacob will not give Benjamin the take back. And God blesses them. They got free grain with gifts added. It's okay. Um, I went to, I, I, yeah, I went, I was in, I was a college and seminary student with three nephews living in my house, so you have to have focus. And so, and so God has blessed them by giving them the money back, giving them extra gifts and the grain, and they interpret it as a misfortune. Look, what sin does to us when we have unresolved sin in our life and hurt, it distorts the way we see the world. It distorts us to the extent that we'll think the blessing of God is a punishment. We'll think the blessing of God is a punishment. You see what it did? Now they know this is bad karma, probably their theology. Bad, you know, bad karma that happened 
that, that is coming upon us because they're so overwhelmed with their guilt. They're thinking, oh, he's going to think we're spies. This is God allowing this to happen to us for the blood we shed 22 years ago. A lot of us have unresolved hidden sin in our lives and we're living in fear. We're being hindered from being free to be who God calls us to be because instead of dealing with it, instead of confessing it and confronting it, we're hiding it. We're trying to numb ourselves to the reality of it. You see? And God will not let it happen. 20 years later, 22 years later, he's going to bring it up. He's going to engage this hurt and brokenness in these sons, in Jacob, even in Joseph himself, who is on top of the world right now, because God is angry about the sin. God hates sin. But he hates it not because he hates you, but because you lo- he loves you and sin holds us back from being free to be who God has called us to be. See, we take it personal, but God doesn't mean it personal. He's saying, I have plans. I have purpose. I have blessings I want to give to you corporately, individually, societally. But I have to deal with sin because the sin is separating me from you so much so that God blesses them financially and they they interpret it as a punishment. You see what I'm saying? God shows mercy and they interpret it as a punishment. This also shows that blessing financially isn't the end of God's plans for us because if it was so, Joseph would have about as successful life as you can have. He's essentially running the world superpower of the day. But that was not the ultimate plan God had for Joseph. Don't you see? It transcends. It goes back to the family because the promise was through this family, through God's people, through the church. To bring blessing to those who bless God through his church and to bring a curse upon those who curse God through his church. The purposes of news of Hollandale, of Hollywood, transcends you as individuals, transcends your uh, you as families. But it is consummated in the church of God. Part of that church is New City, but that's not the only part. When God gives his blessing, he gives it through his people, the church, not a nation. Even the Holy Roman Empire fell. And Augustine could say, well, we have no lasting city like Hebrews. That's the city of man. Even if it was a Christian, quote unquote, Christian empire, the kingdom of God goes on. Regardless of what happened, if America falls, if Trump wins, if Hillary wins, or or whatever, God's purposes transcend this country. America is not the mediator of God's blessing. The church is. I'm going to stop there before I say something to get John in trouble. (laughs) And And so they interpret it as misfortune. They go to their father, and their father is... He mourns, now I've lost another son. I've lost two, and Jacob yells at him. You see the distrust he has for his son. He treats them like they're kids. There's still enmity and strife for his sons because he still blames them some way for allowing the favorite son to die. You see the strained relationship? Jacob says, all this has come upon me. This is the guy who wrestled with God, literally. 
This is the guy who received the blessing of God, who's the heir of the promise, who has so little faith, so little unforgiveness. Right. Jacob forgot who he was. This guy has seen God in visions and it's still not enough. Y'all understand what I'm saying? That even the ecstatic experiences, even the supernatural manifestations, even miracles are not enough to bring true faith. Even the extraordinary. It has to be by grace and hearing the word of God that true faith is born and sustained. And so we come here and God is intentionally dealing with the sin of the first family, if you will. And so they meet with their father, right? And they, they give him a report of what happens. They're all horrified because the money is in the purse. But what they don't know that Joseph knows, remember Joseph said if they, when they come back, they have to bring Benjamin. I bet they were hoping, you know what, hopefully we won't need any more grain until the famine ends and we won't have to deal with that. But what Joseph knows, what they don't know is the famine's going to last seven years, right? Remember the vision? Right? And so they go back, and, and then let's scoot down to, to, to verse 35. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin because they need more grain and they have to go back. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, it will bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol, to the place of the dead. This lets us to our second point. God won't let us get away from him. God won't let us get away from him. The, the drought is extended. This is a transcontinental drought that people have been spared. People have died probably. But the ultimate purposes of God transcends that itself, even down to the royal family. They have to go back and confront again. Jacob has to deal with the hurt of Joseph, and he has to come to terms with trusting God about his favorite son, Benjamin. Don't you see how God does it? God will make us have to deal with our sin because he's drawing us to himself. I couldn't read it all, but finally, Jacob is going to relent. And he's going to send Benjamin. He says, if he dies, he dies. But it takes that willing to let go for them to see the fullness of God's redemption. But before I jump there and we just read, here's the thing. Jacob's like, no way I'm sending Benjamin. Right. What does Reuben say? You can kill my two sons. Right. That's not necessarily noble. It sounds because 
instead of putting himself on the line, he puts his two sons on the line. Right? <laughs> yeah, he didn't say you could kill me. He said you could kill my two sons. <laughs> and, you know, if his sons were there, they're probably like, okay, dad. See if I take out the garbage for you again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, 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 and Jacob does not yield yet. We didn't read it, but later on, it's going to be Judah who says, I'll take responsibility for the boy. And he gives his life in the place and account for Benjamin, not his son. Which is funny because Judah became the most evil of the brothers. He even lived a little separately. We don't have time if you went to Genesis 38. Separately from him, remember Judah's sons are evil. Two, his two sons die. And then his daughter-in-law, Tamar, right? He's supposed to give her a son, but he doesn't. And then he, you know, make it fit. He, she acts like a prostitute, sleeps with him, <coughs> gives birth to twins, right? He's about to kill her, and she says, the man whose staff, because she had his staff, followed the children, and he realized his sin. The most wicked brother, the one who said, instead of killing him, let's make money. The one who, who denied his daughter-in-law her rights and then slept with her and impregnated her. Now he's the one who volunteers himself to go on behalf of his life for the sake of his younger brother. And if we know our Bible history, which I know you do, Judah would be the one through whom King David would come, through whom Christ would come. Right? Y'all remember that? So God is doing this change. Look, as they confront the reality of the sin they committed, as they confront the hurt, the brokenness, 22 years in the making, God is beginning to change them. When nobody volunteered to go to stay behind, nobody volunteered to go while the other stayed. Now, finally, when no one else steps up and Simeon steps up in a bad way saying, you killed my two sons, Judah says, I will risk my life for the sake of my brothers. And they go back, and I'm going I'm to I'm I'm preach a little bit, then wind up here. They go back eventually, and, and they're reunited with Joseph. Joseph embraced them, and Joseph realized that his suffering was for the sake of a greater good. And Judah sees, and Jacob sees that God can bring goodness out of 22 years of deep pain and hurt and brokenness when we confess it and let it go to him. Why do we need to yield our brokenness, our sin? Why do we need to engage the hurt and pain of life? It's for God to show his love, to draw you close, to show his greater purposes in that pain. If y'all like me, I like to complain a lot. And I like, God, why you always got to make it the hard way? Can I just do it the easy way sometimes? But God had a plan. And look, God has a plan and he has acted on that plan in Christ. And because Christ will be the true brother, the true unique son, the favorite son, if you will, the only begotten son who would volunteer his life for ours. Right? Y'all follow me? Our sin, our brokenness being put on him. And he would, would, would volunteer his life for ours so that we can purchase freely of the bread of life, of eternal life. Because what Jesus did for us, we can confront our sin. 
We can confess it. We can acknowledge it and own up to it because one has already bared the price. One has already given himself. He took in the blow of the father's anger for us. So it frees us to acknowledge our sin, to confess it and to run to God in the midst of our sin because it has been dealt with. And God will bring redemption. God will bring healing through our sin, through our brokenness. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. As we close, I just want you to look at your life. Look at your life. What sins are you holding on to? What hurt are you hiding? What wrong are you in denial about? What conversations you may need to have? What forgiveness you may need to offer? Because Jesus took the punishment we deserve, because he was hurt and wounded, For our sakes, because the father was grieved with the loss of his unique son. We can endure sin and let it go to God. We don't have to be afraid of the father's wrath, but we can come to him. We can deal with our sin and we can see a greater purpose, a greater glory in the midst of it. If we're going to be effective as God's people, we have to do that even here. Even with America, I intentionally started off with the story about slavery. Because part of what goes on is we don't really want to engage what happened in America historically. We want to just blame shift, but we can enter in and find healing. I complain a lot. God, why do you got me in the PCA? I hate it. I'm tired of asking the the white people questions. I really had a distrust and dislike of white people that was passed through from me. I said my mom is from South Carolina, right? My, my, my grandma grew up picking cotton in the sharecropping system. The first person in my family on my mama's side to graduate from college was very light-skinned. You know why? Because when my great-aunt, my great-grandmama's sister was raped by a white man at 14, gave birth to that child. Though he could never publicly claim, it, claim that child, he took care of her. Financially, he would tell her to go to his friend's mechanic shop and there'd be money waiting. And that afforded her to be the first person in our family to go to college. But that deep brokenness and distrust was passed down to me. My family made racial, racist comments all the time. And then you know what happened? My brother decides to marry a, a white woman. And not just any white woman, a New Jersey Italian. <laughs> that talked like the Sopranos. And those were fireworks. I mean, there were some fireworks until the grandbabies came. But even we had to engage that story because when them grandbabies came, you know what? Everyone had to do some overlooking of a lot of stuff because they love those grandbabies who have that nice olive complexion. Look like Latinos, honestly. A lot of people mistaken from that. But the gospel frees us to do the hard work of our sin and to know that whatever comes in our life, which when God does, it's just because God is dealing with sin to bring us close to him. It's not out of his wrath. So every time you face a hard situation, look and see, how is God trying to make me a better man or woman? How is God trying to draw me closer to himself before you ask the question, why? Or where is God? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you are a God who brings redemption and suffering. Father, we thank you, Father, that You desire for us to know you and be close with you. And because of that, you will take us through pain. You will take us through suffering and hurt. But, Father, we thank you that we know in the end it is always for our good, even when we don't understand it. 
And we thank you, Father, that because of Jesus, we know every act of yours toward us, even if it's hard, is one of love. Give us the faith and assurance to know that whatever we go through, you have loving intentions behind it. And help us, Father, to let go of whatever brokenness and hurt we need, to give, give it to you and to trust you that through obedience and faith, we may see your redemption at work in our lives, in the Hollandale, Hollywood area, in the world. In Christ's name, amen.